Broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network, this is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. This week, we'll hear from Sele Castillo. He's a former DEA agent and author of the book Powder Burns. We'll also hear from Doug McVeigh of Common Sense for Drug Policy with the Drug War Facts, Mr. Phil Jackson with the Black Perspective of the War on Drugs, but first, this editorial from Art Smart of the Drug Policy Forum of Texas, dpft.org. I now know that I shall never again donate to PBS. The February 14th Frontline was the most one-sided, pathetic excuse for balanced journalism that I have ever had the misfortune of witnessing. The meth epidemic was nothing but an infomercial for the DEA. Not once during the entire program did Frontline in this self-described investigative piece provide any alternative viewpoints such as could easily have been obtained from such organizations as the Drug Policy Alliance and others. Here in Texas, we have the Drug Policy Forum of Texas, that's dpft.org, and I am sure similar organizations exist in Boston and Oregon. Virtually all the ills of the methamphetamine epidemic can be traced to the failed national policy of drug prohibition. Prohibition did not work with alcohol during the 1920s, and it cannot work for methamphetamines in 2006. Tobacco usage dramatically down within my 52-year lifetime, and that success was accomplished through education, not by throwing people into prison. Prohibition causes essentially all the harm of the methamphetamine epidemic. My 12-year-old son with ADD benefits greatly from Adderall, a stimulant not unlike methamphetamine. We are able to purchase Adderall through legitimate and trustworthy sources under a doctor's supervision not from ephedrine cookers with negligible scruples and quality control, which would be the natural result of Adderall prohibition. PBS, WGBH, The Oregonian, and Frontline have all done the country a grave disservice by broadcasting such an unbalanced, one-sided piece, all the while pretending that it is doing good journalism. As for me and PBS, goodbye and good riddance. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Art Smart. You know, I try on a weekly basis to get members of law enforcement, to get politicians who think the drug war is a good thing to appear on our programs, all to no avail, zero, zilch. The uh, Office of National Drug Control Policy, John Walters, the drug czar's office, told me recently that they're just not interested in coming on this program. And I said, is that it? And they said, that's it. Thank you. Hung up. Goodbye. Karen Tandy's office, the Tsarina, the administrator of the DEA. Her office tells me that they're still determining who would be the proper person to come on my program, but it's not likely to be the Tsarina herself. We offer cash money to any of these drug warriors that they can give to a police association or whatever they want to do with it. They refuse it. We offer cash money to any person on planet Earth who thinks the drug war is a good thing and is willing to say so over the airwaves. 
So far, no takers. On behalf of the Drug Truth Network, I want to thank Mr. Art Smart for that editorial on behalf of the knowledgeable citizens of this nation. And now our interview with Zele Castillo. He's a former DEA agent and author of the book Powder Burns. Zele, there's a, a lot of, uh, shall we say, military-type activity going on at the U.S.-Mexican border. There's uh, Newspapers have stopped reporting on the drug war. What's your take, sir? Is this uh, an escalation of events? Well, it is now because uh, there's a big demand like for drugs and so forth. So when you have a big demand, you're going to have a lot of uh, activity going on. And basically that's what's happening right now. As they say, uh, people are more addicted to drug money now than they are to drugs. So uh, we have a big uh, built up of, uh, of drugs coming into this country now. Well, Sele, you know, you talk from experience. Please tell us a bit about your uh, time with the Drug Enforcement Agency. Right. I was with the uh, DEA in Central America and South America uh, back in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, I guess the whole 80s I was down there. I was uh, working a so-called uh, eradication program and so forth. But uh, as normally as usually, uh, you know, we found out that those governments were sleeping with the cartels. And uh, our U.S. government was behind supporting, uh, green, uh, lighting this this operations in in Central America, and they continue to do so in Mexico now. Well, Sele, that we have much the same thing going on in Mexico at this time, do we not? Where uh, certain cartels are chased down, whereas other cartels are allowed to flourish uh, for turning in their their opponents. Why it's called the process of elimination. Uh, we had it in Colombia when the uh, Medellin cartel and, and, and the Cali cartel were at war. And basically our U.S. government chose to work with the Cali cartel and took out uh, the Medellin cartel. So uh, basically that's what's going on here in, in, in Mexico now. The Mexican government has accepted the uh, uh, Gulf cartel to work with instead of the uh, the other cartels uh, from down uh, uh, across the uh, the border from Arizona, New Mexico, and uh, California. Well, Sele, I know that, uh, you know, the violence seems to be escalating. There are hundreds of people being killed, uh, bodies found burning or in car, car trunks, etc. And uh, yet, you know, the danger, supposedly, of this drug war is the drugs coming into the United States, but truthfully, the United States is responsible for those guns that wind up in Mexico, are they not? Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, we, we see it at the gun shows. We got the cartels, the setas, uh, uh, you name everybody's got money, they'll come down to a gun show and buy AR-15s and AK-47s, and that's, you know, 50 caliber machine guns and so forth. So, you know, business as usual. Uh, we will continue to uh, to supply the demand. And uh, basically, that's that's what we're doing, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And uh, that's part of operations, uh, always being part of uh, the ammo of the United States government. And, of course, uh, a lot of the individuals that are finding death, though, are people that are informants for the DEA and the FBI. And they actually will put a, a sign on them right after they kill them as soplones with Miss snitches. And um, we're finding them on both sides of the border here in Texas, uh and uh, they're taking out all these informants who, uh, who are working for the government. Well, there's been uh, instances of more than 200 uh, incursions into the United States by either military 
or people dressed to look like Mexican military. Your thoughts on that? Well, basically, it's what it is: is the the mercenaries, the uh, the uh, uh, rogue warriors that uh, were working for uh, the Mexican military are now working for the cartels. Uh, actually, the people I trained down in Guatemala, which were known as the Caibiles, a special forces unit, um, have left their units and are working now with the Gulf Gar- uh, cartels here in in Texas and in the uh, in in Mexico. So we do have those special forces people that we've trained uh, down in Central America are are now working for uh, cartels here. Now I have kind of a personal stake in the fact that uh, reporters are starting to get hassled, shot, and even killed for reporting the drug war news. Your your thoughts on that? That's basically the same thing that happened in Colombia. It's happening in in Mexico now. You know. Uh, you talk bad about them, and they'll come after you. Uh, they did it a couple of weeks ago at El Mañana newspaper in in Mel Laredo, um, and they they will go in there and they will you know pepper spray the whole place there uh, if you continue to. Uh, and it worked because basically what the uh, uh, the administrator for the newspaper said he will no longer be reporting uh, front page news on, on drug traffickers. So you know they they succeeded in doing what they needed to do. These cartels, as I mentioned, have a lot of guns. There's a turf war going on. Is there any hope that we can ever quash these uh, these wars? Is there any hope that we can stem the tide of these drugs? Absolutely not. You know, our our economy uh, depends on drug money. Uh, we got more banks here in South Texas than we do Seven uh, Elevens or Circle Ks. <laughs> it's an indication that uh, that uh, if we were to stop drug trafficking tomorrow, our banking systems would collapse. That's how much the United States government depend on drug money, and uh, you know you see it everywhere. You know, uh, Mexico, uh, the, uh, the people investing in, in different places, uh, construction and so forth, car dealerships, and and you see it. It's it's a big money uh, operation. Always has been, and always will be. And there's two things that the U.S. government will never stop. That's illegal immigration, and uh, they'll never stop the, uh, the the drugs coming into this country. You know, here in the United States, we're starting to see uh, more and more uh, situations where cops or guards or security, we had the situation recently where the uh, U.S. air marshals were uh, going to smuggle cocaine. But in Mexico, it's it's much worse, is it not? Absolutely. It's worse in Mexico, and uh, but it happens here a lot in the United States. Uh, we have um, cartels that infiltrated the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in South Texas, uh, they know who the informants are. They know when the indictments are coming out. So they're very well organized and very well established within our our government system here in the United States. And that money buys an awful lot of uh, cooperation, either the plato or oro. What's that phrase? What's that? Plata or plomo, which means either you take the money or you take the lead. Either one. And basically, we have federal agents being arrested left and right every day uh, down here in South Texas for corruption. They just sentenced a couple of immigration officers. Uh, you know, we got a uh, DEA agent that's so corrupt here in South Texas, been working here for 15 years, and nobody's been able to touch him. So, so you know, their part, the cartel has infiltrated the uh, United States government. You know, uh, San Ho Tree. He's with the Institute for Policy Studies, and in his speech, he usually says something to the effect that we only catch the stupid drug sellers, that those that are more intelligent uh, 
have great success and, and make great profits from this. And if you take that scenario and apply it to a uh, law enforcement community, we're only catching the few stupid ones out there. What do you think about that? Well, absolutely. What they're doing now is, you know, with racial profiling, they're taking down the minority uh, kids for, for possession of marijuana and and being a member of the LEAP organization, uh, it's a uh, law enforcement uh, against prohibition. We got federal judges, we got congressmen and senators in our organization that uh, are trying to put a stop to this uh, illegal uh, profiling that's being done by the local uh, police departments and the Department of Public Safety. And they're out there, um, you know, trying to seize money and arresting kids for a joint of marijuana. Uh, as a class B misdemeanor, and that's 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 a, quite a violation for these kids. They're just starting, so they're actually destroying these generations right now. And of course, the big wheels, the big guys, uh, people in in high positions are getting away with drug trafficking. I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, a little bit of everything that uh, car dealerships and so forth that they're getting away with, uh, with drug trafficking and money laundering. If a person has money, uh, the authorities tend to leave them alone. Absolutely, uh, because uh, the bottom line is 90% of, of the work that the DEA does and the other agencies do, uh, they violate the law. They perjure themselves before grand juries to get an indictment. The uh, U.S. US Attorney's Office does the same thing, and uh, they go out there and just, uh, you know, slander everybody, and, and then at the end of the day, they plead them out to, uh, to lesser charges as long as they have a conviction. That's how they get promoted. Well, Zele, you're a, a member of law enforcement against prohibition. I understand you guys have now some uh, 5,000 total members. Tell us about LEAP, if you will. Yes, LEAP is uh, it's an organization that's against prohibition. We have uh, federal agents. We've got DEA agents. Uh, we've got FBI agents. We've got uh, federal judges on an organization that's against the, pro the prohibition of, of the marijuana uh, laws, um, you know, uh, you know, it's very, very simple. We try to go out there and educate the public on, on what is going on with with these people. Um, we we try to let them know that uh, we got a lot of law enforcement officers on our side saying, you know what, you shouldn't be arresting people with small amounts of marijuana. You know, marijuana has never killed anybody. Uh, if you were to take marijuana out the streets today, um, the majority of the kids would go to uh, drinking alcohol, and of course, alcohol kills. Um, you know, drinking and driving and so forth. So, you know, basically that's what we're trying to educate the public and, and what we're trying to put a stop to. Law enforcement against prohibition. These men and women have served in the trenches of the drug war as prosecutors, judges, cops, guards, and wardens. They have seen firsthand the utter futility of our policy and now work together to end drug prohibition. Please visit leap.cc. Following on the heels of my interview with Mr. Sele Castillo, it was announced that more than 40 Mexican newspapers published ads this past Thursday demanding that authorities do more to protect freedom of speech amid a wave of violence against journalists. The ads came three days after men opened fire against and tossed grenades into the office of El Mañana newspaper in the border city of Nuevo Laredo, wounding one reporter seriously. Reporters across Mexico have complained about death threats and other intimidation by drug traffickers. 
Many have simply refused to cover the topic because they fear attacks. These ads denounce the escalating degree of drug-related violence against society and in particular against the practice of journalism. You know, the day is coming, and I hope it's soon, when the whole world will wake up, open their eyes, look at this fiasco of drug prohibition, and destroy it. For it is truly the drug lord's dream fulfilled. Alcohol prohibition was back in the news recently. According to an article in the American Journal of Public Health, prohibition did succeed in reducing alcohol consumption and production. This is no revelation. While it is true that use levels were rising again toward the end of prohibition, there is no question that prohibition did accomplish that one narrow goal. On the other hand, prohibition as a social policy was a disaster. Homicides skyrocketed during prohibition. Since alcohol use is often associated with violent crime and murder, the fact that the murder rate increased at a time when alcohol use was diminished shows the terrible effect prohibition had. This new article ignored that fact. An even bigger problem under prohibition was official corruption. Police, prosecutors, politicians. Prohibition gave organized crime a stranglehold on many major U.S. cities. While it is true that there was still corruption after prohibition was repealed, the idea that this persistence disproves a link to prohibition is simply incorrect. To the contrary, gangsters would continue to have a hold over those whom they had corrupted. After all, the crimes and the illicit payoffs committed by officials during prohibition weren't pardoned after prohibition's repeal. The bottom line is, policies don't exist in a vacuum. Our current prohibition may stop some less adventurous sorts from trying a puff of marijuana. Yet our drug war policies have also ruined millions of lives, wasted billions of dollars, and cost countless lives. Any benefits from this prohibition are far outweighed by the costs. And now from the United States around the world to Russia. The Russian federal parliament took a backward step in drug policy recently. The Moscow Times reported on the 16th of February that reforms which had been introduced two years ago have been essentially repealed. Now, even small, personal-use amounts of controlled substances can land a person behind bars. Reforms were enacted in 2004 after it was revealed that Russian prisons held more than 300,000 drug offenders. Many of these were minor offenders. Drug use in Russia, meanwhile, was skyrocketing, fed in part by the country's proximity to Afghanistan. The reforms, basically a reduction in penalties for personal use possession of very small amounts, were to ease overcrowding and help resolve a criminal justice crisis. The Federal Drug Control Service complained bitterly and lobbied for a return to the bad old days. Now, they've succeeded in getting the laws changed back. Meanwhile, outside observers, including the Moscow Helsinki Group, and internal critics, such as the Russian Prosecutor General, Vladimir Ustinov, have accused the Russian police of systemic corruption and complicity in crimes, including murder. Now, thanks to the Russian government, police will be able to more easily harass drug users. More arrests, more prisoners, more corruption, and more crime. These are not the lessons we wanted the Russians to learn when the communists fell out of power. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. You are listening to Cultural Baggage on the Drug Truth Network. It's time to play Name That Drug by its side effects. Swelling of the lips, bloating, death. You'll never get this in ten seconds. This new medicine is undergoing trials in Canada. It's made from a sea creature. It's hundreds of times more powerful than heroin. It helps those in great pain like cancer patients. This med also helps cure heroin addiction. 
They said that a hundred years ago when heroin displaced morphine. Time's up. The answer from the yellow pufferfish, tetrodetoxin. I think this cycle of the pledge season is just about over for most of our affiliates. We'll be doing live shows again starting next week. And I've got a request for any stations out there that are carrying our feeds that are not listed on our affiliates page. To check that, please go to drugtruth.net. And down near the bottom it says 50 affiliates. Are you the 51st? That's all we want to know. It don't cost you nothing. And now another black perspective on the drug war. The illegal drug industry is a $400 billion a year business. That is bigger than the automobile industry. This is a mountain of money, but not if you're black. Oh, there are people getting rich from the drug trade, but few if any of them are black. The people who suffer the consequences of the drug trade, though, are primarily the black, the brown, and the poor. The bankers, the lawyers, the corrupt officials and importers, the refiners, the distributors of the drugs, well, they're all in it for the money. But if you ask the boys on the corner, making their ends a dime at a time, taking all the heat and doing all the time, and they'll tell you they're in it to survive. At the black end of the drug business, the risks are out of all proportion to the rewards, and everybody knows it. But in an environment of poverty, powerlessness, and lack of opportunity, even a bad risk like this starts to look good. And what about you and I, the average citizen not involved in the drug trade? Well, Uncle Sam picks our pocket to the tune of $50 billion a year to pay for a drug war that is a fraud, a lie, a scam, that gives value to the very substances it pretends to oppose and brings violence to the communities it pretends to protect. It targets the black, the brown, and the poor because it's racist at its core. For the rich and the white, the risks are light, and many get to waltz all the way to the bank. But for everyone else, the risks are huge, the rewards are small, and the best we'll ever do is tap dance at the edge of an abyss. I believe, and I hope you'll agree, that the smart investment is in ending drug prohibition and an end to the drug war altogether. As I've said many times before, racism is a fundamental and integral part of the drug war, and its effects must never be ignored, forgotten, or underestimated. Without racism, the drug war just doesn't make any sense. For example, if you add up all the costs of drug use, health care costs, premature death, medical costs, lost productivity, property damage, and such, Illegal drug use costs America about $40 billion a year. But add up the costs of the drug war, lost wages due to incarceration, police services, legal system costs, state, federal, and local corrections facilities, etc., and the total is over $140 billion, and rising quickly. Now, that's far too much to spend to solve the problem of drugs. It makes no sense. But... As a racist policy designed to marginalize and disenfranchise America's black, brown, and poor populations, it may seem to its backers like a good investment. Renowned economist Milton Friedman seems to agree when he asks, How many of our citizens do we want to turn into criminals before we yell enough? Can any policy, however high-minded, be moral if it leads to widespread corruption, imprisons so many, has so racist an effect, destroys our inner cities, wreaks havoc on misguided and vulnerable individuals, and brings death and destruction to foreign countries? How many citizens indeed, Mr. Friedman? The prison population is now two million and rising fast thanks to the drug war. Isn't it time we yell, enough?
For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. This from the San Francisco Chronicle. If you want to understand how difficult it is to cut the federal deficit, it will surpass $400 billion in the 2007 budget, take a look at the Byrne Grants, named after New York City police officer Edward Byrne, who was killed by drug dealers. The grants have provided about $500 million annually to law enforcement efforts since the program was signed into law by the first President Bush. Critics on the left and the right consider the program to be ill-conceived and ineffective, and they've urged Washington to eliminate the grants, but Congress keeps pouring millions into the program. And now this story from Australia. The Australian-based researcher Louisa Digenhart and two colleagues tested the hypothesis of a casual relationship between cannabis use and schizophrenia by carefully examining the incidence of schizophrenia in Australia over a 30-year period. The results, published in 2003, found that although the prevalence of marijuana use had increased markedly during that period, there was no evidence of a significant increase in the incidence of schizophrenia. Despite claims by some mental health professionals that some pre-existing mental illnesses can be exacerbated or brought on by marijuana use. The evidence that supports this is extremely dubious. End quote. Marijuana, threat or menace. According to the U.S. Office of National Drug Control Policy, marijuana use can lead to depression, suicide, and schizophrenia. Never mind that the rate of schizophrenia is unchanged since 1945 and that schizophrenics often self-medicate with marijuana. If you don't believe, you must be crazy. Next, I'd like to read you part of a letter written by Alan St. Pierre, the executive director of NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. It's titled, What the Police Care About. Regular street cops and narcotics police who make the marijuana arrests like the pot possession arrests. The arrests are easy. People arrested for smoking or possessing marijuana in public tend to be nonviolent, easy to handle, and in the words of one cop, clean, meaning physically clean, not smelly or dirty. When an officer arrests someone, he is married to the arrestee, sometimes for many hours, through booking and arraignment. Police like getting easy overtime, especially towards the end of their careers when it affects their pension. A marijuana arrest at the end of shift guarantees several or more hours of clean, easy overtime. End quote. Some might ask, why do the pharmaceutical houses, the alcohol and tobacco industries, the oil industries, have such a stranglehold over the mechanisms of this drug war. And I'd like to read you something from the Washington Post. Quote, The Carmen Group, a mid-sized lobbying firm, is so proud of its performance that it annually publicizes its clients' costs and compares them with the benefits they receive. In 2004, the latest year available, Carmen said it collected $11 million in fees and delivered $1.2 billion in assistance to its clients, a ratio of less than 1 to 100. The payoff is large but fairly typical of modern-day lobbying, so said David Carmen, the firm's president. End quote. The scandals coming forward with the likes of Mr. Abramoff and our remembrance of the corporate fraud, the white-collar, multi-billion-dollar criminals still walking the street, 
should give the average citizen some concern about the likes and the morals of those who proclaim this drug war to be so necessary. And again, who benefits? The cops and the criminals. The rest of us are screwed. Don't go playing the blame game. There's no time for delay. Don't go playing the blame game. Look away. Look away. Please join us next week on the Drug Truth Network when our guest will be Will Harrell of the Texas ACLU as well as Mason DeVert of Safer. And as always, I remind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guthy, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth, the show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jap dancing on the edge of cannabis. <laughs>